ho ho, dear listener, and welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we talk about it. Lindsay, it's the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Did you pick out an appropriately holiday-themed tape for today's episode? Yes, I did. We're watching The Santa Claus. Clause with an E. Very, very important. And that clause is, <clears throat> as I read from the front of the VHS uh, box here, In putting on this suit and entering the sleigh, the wearer waives any and all rights to previous identity, real or implied, and fully accepts the duties and responsibilities of Santa Claus until such time that wearer... I was doing so well. That wearer becomes unable to do so either by accident or design. Um, Which is kind of awful. I mean, just arbitrarily, they have this tiny text, and Tim Allen has to forsake his whole identity. This is a very interesting movie because it's a Disney movie, ostensibly. It began as a Hollywood Pictures movie, which is another kind of sub-entity that used to be owned by Disney. But it I switched, didn't realize that. Yeah, it switched over to Disney because, I guess, of very positive... Uh, uh, test screening, so they thought, oh, we'll kick it up to the majors and see how it does. But it is a movie that begins with a kid's dad killing Santa Claus. Well, it's an accident. It's an accident, but he wouldn't have died had Tim Allen not yelled at him. Yeah, I mean, Santa Claus is on his ra- uh, on his roof, and Tim Allen yells out, and Santa is startled, and then falls off the roof and dies, presumably by breaking his neck. In his fall. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out, he kind of Obi-Wan's out of existence. <laughs> he kind of just dissolves out of being. Which is convenient, to say the least. To which our hero, Tim Allen, says, he's naked around here somewhere. Which I remember being a huge laugh line with me and my friends when we were kids. Oh, yeah. So there were some ads at the beginning of this tape. Yes. Wait, actually, we should also explain, we're having a lot of trouble with our VHS player. And we already yes. replaced one, and now it's looking like we need a new one, because it took, how many tries do you think? It was like 30 tries for you to get this yeah. to work? It took days and days. It's been an ordeal. We realize that these episodes have not been coming out as frequently as we would like. For, we had a good stretch there where we are every two weeks. Honestly, a huge part of it is that you're kind of playing Russian roulette every time you put a tape in this VCR. Like, will it get chewed up? And now this tape has a section of it that just doesn't play. Like, literally, the screen went off for a while because it was like, there's n- there's no input. But anyway, back to the ads. This tape starts with an ad for Disneyland. Oh, yeah. They're not fucking around on this tape. They go straight to Disneyland. Is it? I think the daughter of this family is kind of bummed. Because she saw almost all of the characters at Disneyland, but there's still one that she didn't get to see. And then out leaps Mickey Mouse. Aw, yeah. Star of the show. I was not that excited to see Mickey Mouse when I was a kid. The character I had to see at Disneyland was Goofy. And and Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, it feels like a miscalculation. Like, Mickey Mouse, yeah, he's the head of the crew, but who is excited about seeing Mickey? Probably a lot of kids. (laughs) I feel like... Usually the star of what whichever animated uh, 
film is most recently out. Like, I remember when yeah. I was a kid at Disneyland, Aladdin was the guy to see. Yeah, that's true. I... Or the genie, rather. Mm-hmm. I think the genie was kind of the star of the show. Yeah, I was pretty obsessed with Goof Troop and then later the Goofy Movie. Or a Goofy Movie, I should say. I was a Goofy kid, too. I, was, I really liked Goofy. I had a memorable visit to Goofy's Kitchen... Uh, when my family visited Disneyland, where, at least this is my memory, a guy vomited into his palm, and simultaneously a crow flew through the front door. (laughs) This episode has been brought to you by Disneyland. Um, Uh, Yeah, I don't know. My memory of Disneyland and meeting Goofy is just being in Goofy's kitchen, and then Goofy making a big deal about my light-up shoes. Uh, and he was, like, gesturing, indicating that he wanted to see them light up again, but I couldn't get them to light up for Goofy, and I remember feeling so overwhelmed in that moment. This next ad is not not only, like, serves as sort of a time capsule for this tape, it's interesting to see an ad for just what's considered now, like, a stone-cold classic. Mm-hmm. Because this is an early ad for Toy Story, which they say uh, will be in theaters around Thanksgiving. One of the interesting things was you were remarking on how well the animation for Toy Story held up. Although then I then I commented, you're not seeing any of the people because the human beings in the first Toy Story movie look pretty creepy to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of that uncanny valley thing, I guess, where yeah, things that you that aren't supposed to be alive, like toys, are easier to accept than humans. Yeah. Next on the tape, we have an ad for Pocahontas. Which, I guess at the, at the time this tape had come out, it had already been in theaters. This is more an advert coming to VHS. I remember liking it, but it's also one that I'm afraid to revisit, just because it might be really, really problematic yeah. in uh, today's <laughs> world. But That's like Jungle to Jungle, the other Tim Allen ch- movie of my childhood. I'm pretty forgiving of, like, 90s Disney stuff. I mean, I look at Pocahontas more... And again, I'd have to rewatch it. But I look at both Pocahontas and Mulan as sort of being like, well, it's pretty cool that they tried, you know? Yeah, and I think with Pocahontas, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I do, I mean, obviously they didn't address the genocidal tendencies going on really explicitly, but they did sort of show the Europeans coming over in a kind of negative light and that they were doing bad things. But then, of course, you have John Smith coming in and saving people. Which probably in, historically wasn't really how it went down, but mm-hmm. Disney's never been that concerned with historical accuracy. So if you're watching a, div- a Disney movie to learn about history, you're doing the wrong thing. I, I also remember the music being very memorable, which I think is the last of the Disney classic 2D musicals to have memorable songs like Color well, of the Wind. Oh, Mulan has some memorable. Yeah, lines. and Mulan came out. Maybe after. that's where it sort of ended. Yeah, probably. I'm trying to rack my brain. I mean, until the revival with Tangled. I don't remember any songs from Hunchback or Hercules, personally. No. I don't know. I guess if you really grew up watching that, those movies I a lot. I friends in college who knew the Hercules songs. I think it hit a very particular age group that was slight, like a year or two, maybe a couple years younger than us. You went to college with Hercules people? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't even know what that means. This final ad is aimed squarely at the Tim Allen fan demographic. You're watching Home Improvement every week. You're into the into Tim the Toolman Taylor. And now you're running to your local Barnes & Noble to pick up a copy of 
Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man, which is a collection of essays by one Tim Allen. It's a very odd title. Very odd title. Interesting tidbit about this book, and maybe the reason that it's advertised on this tape. The Santa Claus is released theatrically in November of 1994, and for a solid week at least, Tim Allen had the number one film in the country, The Santa Claus, the number one TV show on the air, Home Improvement, and the New York Times number one bestseller, Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man. That's so weird. What a time to be Tim Allen, November <laughs> the, of 94. I was going to say, the best week of his life. Oh, yeah. Well, he still got that Buzz Lightyear money rolling in for yeah, the foreseeable future. I don't worry about Tim Allen very much. Yeah, especially since he was a Trump supporter. <laughs> oh, I went there. <laughs> well, he was first a John Kasich supporter. Very Yeah, pointedly. and then he switched sides. You know, I honestly haven't followed Tim Allen's career very much recently. But it is interesting how... I didn't know about this entire controversy because I don't really watch... I, I, I can't think of the last time I watched like a multi-camera... TV sitcom on like a major network like I mean we grew up with like Friends and Seinfeld but yeah. the Home Improvement more to Tim Allen's point but uh, I guess his most recent show Last Man Standing in which he played sort of a conservative Archie Bunker type character that was cancelled kind of abruptly and a lot of fans were outraged because they thought it was a liberal uh, bias that ABC canceled it because it was Tim Allen being a conservative character. And you gotta silence those conservative <clears throat> voices. Nothing to do with the ratings for the show going down and down. For Friday night, there's fewer viewers because people are out doing stuff. But I did look at the ratings for that show in preparation for this and they were going downhill. And apparently it was a very expensive show to produce because ABC was somehow licensing the rights from Fox. Oh, weird. And paying Tim Allen's, I'm sure, exorbitant salary for that show. So who knows what the real story is. Again, yeah. I haven't seen a single episode of Last Man Standing, but this is my read on it. I feel like these companies make financial decisions, not necessarily political decisions. Like, yeah, occasionally they do, but I think they're more money motivated than anything else. Yeah, likewise, shows that are very cheap to produce tend to stay on the air for a little while longer than maybe they should, just because mm -hmm. ratings, even if the ratings are down, if it's a really cheap show to make, like if someone else is I funding mean, it. That's why we had so many reality TV shows for so long, because they were so cheap. Tim Allen has a little bit of a dark history, too. In October of 1978, uh, Tim Allen was arrested at the Kalamazoo airport in possession of one and a half pounds of cocaine. And he was a drug smuggler in the 70s. Um, and he pled guilty to drug trafficking charges and basically snitched out a bunch of other dealers in, uh, for basically in exchange for a lighter prison sentence. It's so funny that he went on to be for a while like the father figure on TV. When I first heard that story, I was kind of impressed. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, not a good look for him for for him to one be a drug smuggler and two for him to rat out. I guess everyone that he worked with. He he served two years and four months in jail. 
and he came out and I guess that was 81 that he got out of prison and for him to turn it all around and be in this huge blockbuster movie less than 15 years later is kind of insane. For a company that made a point of not hiring cons, ex-cons yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's um it's pretty fascinating Tim Allen. Like uh I mean he's he's had other brushes to the law since then. I mean, but they're kind of more you know, what you sort of expect from celebrities, like rehab and DUI sort of things. And this uh, sketchy past he has is very interesting, especially since he became so strongly associated with, like, family-friendly stuff, like you were saying. so funny. So for The Uninitiated, I mean, I know this is a big movie for our generation, but not necessarily for others. I mean, I I guess it's held up somewhat. Who knows? But what is the Santa Claus, with an E, about? It's about a man who, he and his wife are divorced, and she has remarried a man named Neil, who Tim Allen hates. Tim, a.k.a. Scott Calvin, notice S-C, like Mm -hmm. Santa Claus. Scott just wants to bond with his son and like forget that this guy annoying guy neil exists in his life and enjoy christmas but unfortunately he kills santa accidentally takes on santa's identity then must become the world's santa claus and that's kind of it and then it's really them dealing with the hijinks of that everyone not believing and then him performing all these acts of santa magic to convince everybody yes i am indeed santa claus i'm not crazy and my son is not crazy yeah there's a little bit of miracle on 34th street in that whole convincing people that he really is santa claus yeah it's also a little bit of a jesus christ allegory to me. oh are we getting into this too <laughs> pulling out all the stuffs there is a line in this movie that is basically you know You've just got to believe. This is actually a theme that comes up quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, this is, it's, it's really a movie that's an allegory of Christian belief and Jesus Christ to me. Uh, I'm skipping ahead, but when they get to the North Pole and they meet all the little cute elves, um, one of them, Judy, very pointedly says, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. Yeah, and then there's also a line that Tim Allen gives to his son he sits down his kid. His kid's asking him all these logic-based questions about how and why the whole Santa thing works. Because he's, he's been told by his mom and his stepdad that Santa doesn't exist. And so instead of trying to give answers to his questions, he just says, you know, Charlie, sometimes you just believe in something. So essentially just like, you know, you just believe. That's it. You don't need to ask questions. So I think that's kind of a funny one. And then no one believes that Tim Allen is Santa until he performs his magical miracles. There are just a few little tidbits in there. And, you know, I mean, there isn't exactly a villain in this movie, but if I was to point to, like, who's kind of the antagonist, it would be Neil, the stepdad, Judge Reinhold's character, who is a skeptic. Like, skeptics in this world are kind of people, and also the mom to an extent, although yeah. she's a little softer than Neil. And she ends up kind of switching over. Yeah, I mean, I, eventually Neil does too, but these skeptics, these non-believers, are kind of the ones that are, you know, the villains of this film. And it's so interesting, because it's 
it's making you make the leap because you know you've seen all of the evidence but then it's a film that's talking about you don't need evidence you just need to believe which is very interesting to me kind of like jingle all the way i mean there i see a few connections there because again i mean there's so many 90s movies where there's kind of an absentee father who's obsessed with his work i'd say hook also falls into this category. Uh, was jungle there... to Jungle falls into this, although Another he Tim didn't Allen. know that he didn't know that was his kid. Oh, Jingle All the Way, Liar Liar, Liar Liar is a big one. Kind of the absentee father, workaholic uh, subgenre. What's interesting watching it through sort of grown up eyes is, yeah, Tim Allen's behavior is very distressing uh, when he sort of becomes Santa Claus because after he does. That, that first kind of inaugural trip in the sleigh with his son, his son is suddenly obsessed with Santa Claus and year-round is, is obsessed about the North Pole and that time he saw all the elves, <laughs> including uh, Bernard, uh, David Krumholtz's head elf character. And um, it's like, yeah, that would be, especially if you're uh, a therapist like Neil, that might be a little alarming. And if... This absentee father, uh, Scott Calvin, is, has put on a dramatic amount of weight and has a white beard and dresses up in Christmas sweaters within, year long. Within weeks, this occurs. Yeah. Like, out like, of nowhere. And is all of a sudden uh, at your son's soccer game, if he's sitting on a park bench <laughs> with little kids in his lap and a line of kids waiting to sit on his lap maybe no. yeah maybe this is a little no they're disturbing no other adults around it's a little weird although neil and the mom don't handle this very well they because handle it poorly yeah they handle it poorly like even at that soccer game where he's listening to the wishes of all the different kids coming by he didn't force them to do that but then also neil and the mom just like run through the soccer field and block the game they didn't yeah. even have the courtesy to walk around Zero respect for the uh, mythos of Santa Claus and the sport of soccer, these two. One thing that's nice to see in a mid-90s uh, holiday movie that kind of deals with, like, sort of sweeping you into this fantastical world of the North Pole and elves and flying reindeers, it's very restrained in the use of computer effects. Like, when you see the North Pole, it's all just, I mean, almost all of it is practical sets. Whereas, yeah. um, I haven't seen the other two-thirds of the great Santa Claus trilogy. But I imagine uh, when we get into the 2000s, it's a lot of, you know, these sweeping CGI vistas behind them of this huge world of the North Pole. But here it's pretty restrained. And, like, when Tim Allen shrinks down to go down the chimney, it's... There aren't a lot of bells and whistles on it. He kind of just, you know, he just kind of squeezes into the tube without a lot of sparks and explosions yeah. and uh, brouhaha surrounding it. I think one of the charming things in this movie is when he's first having to act as Santa that night before he knows about the Santa Claus. He's just kind of going along with it because his son and the reindeer convince him that the, the gifts need to be delivered. And then he's arguing with that little girl. <laughs> yeah. I'm lactose intolerant. Yes, I definitely the idea of there, there being sort of a curmudgeon non-believer taking on the role of Santa. That's a fun fish out of water thing yeah, for sure. It's pretty cute. I was, I was surprised because there was nothing glaringly 
out of place in this film that I've noted. Like we've we've seen that with a lot of other movies. This was not a chore to watch the way that Jingle All the Way was. Oh man! What my biggest concern whenever visiting a movie like this, particularly Christmas movies, is that I will now find the kid to be awful. <laughs> and that was not the case in this movie. I was very pleasantly surprised by this child actor. I thought he was very good. I thought his cutie his... was earnest. He yeah. wasn't annoying. I mean, not to not to keep bashing uh, Jake Lloyd in Jingle All the Way, but that's kind of how. That's sort of a case study in how not to do a kid. Like someone yeah. who's who's very whiny and entitled and doesn't really seem to relate with the father at all. Yeah. Whereas this kid was, I thought, was very uh, well drawn. And they seem to have chemistry as father and son, which I think did not happen at all for Jingle All the Way. Absolutely. I do want to say that I like the movie. I don't want to put too many holes in it. I realize, you know, it's a Disney family movie, but I did have some issues with some of the story elements. Okay. Just from a purely logistical standpoint, I'll throw them out there and you you tell me what you think. All right. We exist in a world here where (laughs) Santa is real. Okay. Meaning every year at Christmas, families wake up and there are these gifts that came from Santa. Who put them there in the minds of the, you know, Neils of the world that don't believe in Santa? How do they excuse all these mysterious presents that appear? Maybe they think they got them and they just forgot. Hmm. Because Tim Allen entirely convinces himself that it was just a a shared dream with his son that he was Santa that night. So, I mean, this is a world where the adults just rationalize everything. It's kind of like they're muggles. Okay, okay. Second bit. The, this is a, this is much more troubling to me. We can accept that maybe when you're in the sled delivering the, the presents, time works differently. Because, of course, you know, if we were yeah. in real time, he could not deliver presents to millions of people. And interestingly... Yes. Uh, Judge Reinhold's character, Neil, brings this up. Like, how could he possibly deliver all these presents in one night? So if we accept that time moves slower when you're delivering presents as Santa, does that mean he's trapped in this year-long hellscape where he's delivering presents over the course of an infinite night? And how does he not go crazy (laughs) in the process? I I have two things. Okay. Magic. (laughs) So magic not only filters time, but filters his experience of that time, maybe. Okay. Number two, I don't think that he actually visits every child in the world. I think he only visits the children of homes that do the whole Christmas thing, which would definitely limit the number of homes he would have to visit in the world. It'd still be a lot. Yeah. But they make it seem like it's, oh, it's every child. But then if you think about it, what are these kids going to wake up that don't celebrate Christmas at all and suddenly they've got presents somewhere? Mm-hmm. That we only see him visiting American families, like almost yeah. in within his town. Yeah. I want to see the, uh, the extended cut <laughs> where he goes to different countries 
he just pops up in Japan and Brazil and like. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, maybe maybe I'm overthinking it, but and but also like I was thinking one workaround for that is maybe there's multiple Santa Clauses. <laughs> like maybe that's a good explanation. Like maybe he's the regional Santa Claus. But then there's no mention of that at the North Pole. Well, I was just saying, like, what if they wrote it? What if the screenplay was written in such a way that that was the explanation? I but, see. And again, we've only seen one third of the iconic Santa Claus trilogy. I'm sorry, I keep making fun of the, the uh, belated sequels, but I've heard they're not good. I think I was too old when the second one came out. In 2002, I think the thing there is he has to get married. He needs a Mrs. Claus. And then the third one, the escape clause, uh, Martin Short plays Jack Frost, which <laughs> looks really bad. Uh, but uh, I, I have to admit, I'm a little intrigued with just by the presence of Martin Short as an evil Jack Frost. Uh, that'd be pretty interesting. I remember a quote uh, from Tim Allen at the time, I guess when he was doing the press rounds for the Santa Claus 3, where he was saying, uh, I love that there's three of them, like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's a guy without much perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the question was probably like, what did you, what what do you like about this movie? And he said, I love that there's three of them. There's also nine Star Wars movies now. Yeah, I guess at the time. Well, well even in well 2006, there would, there would have, have been, been six of them, yeah. Yeah. Get it together, Tim Allen. Well, um, maybe he had too much of that coke early on. Oh, poor Tim Allen. Poor Trump-supporting Tim Allen. It's so funny to think of him as being partnered with Tom Hanks for all the Toy Story movies. Yeah, talk about two men that are just on polar opposites of the political landscape. Although sometimes when you do voice work, I don't think you're in the booth at the same time. Yeah, I you don't just kind of works. It sort of depends on what what it is. I think you're often just by yourself reading the lines. Yeah, I guess that's true. Although I feel like for that setup, it might be easier. Well, because they probably do readings together, right? Table readings. Yeah, I would think so. Well, they have the whole trilogy on Netflix. I keep telling you, we need to see two and three and report back, but I don't think so. That might be painful. So needless to say, this is a huge hit at the box office. It uh, grossed $144 million in the U.S. alone. TBS and different places will play this around That's the holidays. True. It's definitely yeah. one that has withstood this, the test of time to a certain degree. I do wonder if the sequels not being quite so great and just continuing. I mean, they made two of them. They're probably going to make a fourth one if they can get the budget together. I wonder if that sort of cheapens the original, though. I think there's a debate to be had about that. Do bad sequels diminish the reputation of the original? The The two that I think of are The Matrix and American Pie. Yeah. I mean, the the, the Matrix sequels, I just think, are bad. And, you know, I, especially at that age, I remember feeling like the original Matrix is my favorite movie for several years. And then when the sequels came out... That definitely changed my perception of the first movie. And with American Pie, which is not necessarily a series that I love, um, I just remember there were the first three movies, and then for years they did these direct-to-video kind of bargain bin movies that just sort of were like American Pie Presents 
The Naked Mile, Bandcamp. Like, they did all these kind of cheap, low-budget sex comedies that didn't really have anything to do with the original series. And when they came back around to do the sort of reunion movie where they brought all the cast back together, that was a big flop because they'd completely trashed the brand with all these direct-to-video sequels. Kind of an extreme example, but uh, I, I think that that did color that series for sure. And so it could happen here. But a lot of times people just forget about the sequels. Like, I I mean, honestly, I had to be reminded that there was a two and three before yeah. recording this. Because this very much stands alone. It did not need sequels. The, st- the sequels were tacked on, for sure. But some sequels are necessary, like Ghoulies Go to College, for example. I don't think anyone's going to get that reference. Or, you know, The Godfather Part 2. Ghoulies 2. <laughs> Yeah, weird tidbit of local trivia, local to Sacramento anyway, David Krumholtz. He's also the star of Numbers, the TV show Numbers, where he uses math to solve crimes. And he actually doesn't know any math. He just memorizes lines. But for whatever reason, one of the Sacramento community colleges, American River College, had a professor there who was obsessed with the Numbers TV show. And so he got... (laughs) Uh, I, I heard this this story from the man himself, this professor. He he convinced the school to give David Krumholtz an honorary AA in math. <laughs> That's great. Um, and also, Peter Boyle, one of your favorite actors, is in this film as the head of the toy company that Tim Allen works for. Yeah, I love him. He Okay, so he plays Ray Romano's dad in Everybody Loves Raymond. But what I really love him in is While You Were Sleeping with Sandra Bullock. Oh, he's great in that. He's so sweet in that movie. And, you know, Judy the Elf... <laughs> Who I was convinced was a completely different actress. Paige Tomata plays her. She did not really do much after this. Yeah. I thought that she was Danielle Harris, who was in some of the Halloween movies as oh, a little girl around the same time. But she just kind of looks like her. Yeah, she did have all that elf makeup on, too. Yeah. But I'm surprised that some of these elves, I mean, besides David Krumholtz, obviously, didn't go on to bigger things. Because there's, like, so many child actors packed into the North Pole, you'd think that more of them would have hit it big afterwards. I think a lot of kids were doing it because their family was pushing them to do it. Because when you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, are you really choosing to act? Is that really what you want? Because there are a lot of these kids that we I'll look up after we see one of these movies and it, and they retired, you know, they retired from acting at like age 10 or 11 when they finally convinced their parents to let them stop. I guess it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, who wants to turn out like Jake Lloyd? Interestingly, Eric Lloyd is the kid who plays uh, Charlie Calvin, but I don't think he's any relation to Jake Lloyd. No, I, I wouldn't think so. They look nothing alike. Yeah. But th- that kid's good, Eric Lloyd. He was a really cute actor, and he, he did a pretty good job. And he's he's in both sequels. So yeah. So they managed to get the cast back together. Yeah, good for them for getting a good kid actor. I mean, part of it is just the dialogue that he's reading is very appropriate for a child, unlike Jingle All the Way, which is more appropriate for a monster. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Poor monster. Well, Lindsay, it's been quite a journey diving into the Santa Claus once again. Uh, This is your choice. So I have to ask you the age-old question. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? 
I think I'll say rent it. It's really fun. It's not necessarily like a classic Christmas movie that you have to see, but I enjoyed it. It, it. You know, I liked watching it again. I didn't suffer the way we've suffered with other movies. I agree. Solid rent it. Uh, don't necessarily love Tim Allen as a human being, but I do think he is a certain, has a certain kind of screen presence that I really enjoy. I like Home Improvement. I like this movie. Can't speak to the sequels. Lindsay is insisting we watch them very soon. No. Maybe back to back. We just found out the budget for the third one is twelve mil- was twelve million dollars, which is lower than the budget for the original. It's interesting. It went twenty two million for the first one, sixty five for the second, then dropped down to twelve for the third one. You think it almost seems like they were planning on going direct to DVD, but then they're like at the last minute, like, eh, let's make it theatrical. It did make a lot of money, though, surprisingly, the escape clause. Uh, but yeah, this is a rented, I think it's, uh, yeah, you know, especially if there's youngins around, I think it's uh, very appropriate for kids. Interestingly, and we didn't address this, RVHS copy has a controversial line of dialogue that oh, was yeah. excised from the DVD and Blu-ray releases and is cut out of all broadcast. And there's a line where Tim Allen makes a joke that Neil's mother's phone number is 1-800-SPANK-ME. And this caused a problem because apparently kids were calling 1-800-SPANK-ME, which is a real phone sex line. And So crazy that they didn't check that out before they made the movie. So, of course, Disney, as it often does, uh, acted very hastily to cut that out of the movie, and they bought that number. You'd think they'd just have to do one or the other, but they did both. Um, But it's funny because I remember that line, and it's kind of weird to see the movie without it. Kind of like how I, I always had the VHS copy of Scream, which is uncut, and all releases since, the DVD and the Blu-ray have some of the violence cut out of it. Oh, Like, weird. there's no way to see the uncut version of Scream unless you have the VHS or maybe like some weird laser disc has it but um yeah it's kind of it's kind of strange it's like one of those things that just uh you know you can't find that line anywhere but on the VHS tape yeah but for this one it was the we have the 1995 version which yeah. still has the line and it was from 1999 right when yeah they started taking it out yeah very very interesting Personally, I don't even really like that line. I think it's kind of inappropriate for a kid's movie. I just so. like that all these kids were calling and it was actually a phone sex line. I would have liked to see the phone bills of all those parents of kids that watched the Santa Claus and then picked up a phone and dialed 1-800-SPANK-ME. Um, and then didn't you say Disney also bought Yeah, they, they bought number. the number. Um, so I guess if you call it now, I mean, we could try that. Well, tell you what, Lindsay, I've got a phone right here. Let me, uh, let me see what happens. Okay. Okay, typing it in. 1-800-SPANK-ME. Let's see what happens. Hey, baby. I love to party. (laughs) (laughs) I have enough energy to keep you hard all night long. Okay, I'm hanging up on that. (laughs) So it's still an actual sex line. So did Disney not buy it? Apparently not, judging from that. Wait, where did you read that they bought it? I read that they bought it on Wikipedia. On Wikipedia, alright. 
Or maybe it was IMDb. Either one is not uh, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be on your phone, Bill. Yep, it is. So, uh, yeah, you heard it here first. 1-800-SPANK-ME, not bought out by Disney. <laughs> Still an active phone sex number. Don't call it. This is not an endorsement of 1-800-SPANK-ME, but yeah, it still exists, in case you're wondering. So I guess Disney just figured if they don't broadcast it with that line, they don't need to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean, what are we watching next time? We are watching a holiday classic. This is a film that is set at Christmas, um, kind of, you know, is very much gets me in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> I would watch it with my college roommate around Christmas. Why are you laughing? <laughs> this is, uh, dare I say, one of the best representations of the Christmas spirit in film form. I am talking, of course, about the 1986 Sylvester Stallone classic, Cobra. Sorry, I'm still laughing about you <laughs> calling that sex line. <laughs> <laughs> so, no matter what anyone tells you, Cobra is a Christmas movie. It's set at Christmas. Uh, there is a Santa it's Claus at one point. Barely Much... a Christmas movie. It's like an afterthought. Well, we'll, we'll get into it. It is set at Christmas time. There are men clanking axes together in the sewers, much as you do at Christmas time. Uh, Sylvester Stallone gives you some great crime statistics right at the beginning. Uh, there's a lot to get into with this film. Uh, we had our friends Ricky and Rachel over to watch it with us. Uh, and I think that they're in agreement that it's a Christmas classic. I don't think Rachel is. <laughs> Maybe, maybe Ricky. Maybe just Ricky and I think of this as a Christmas movie. But uh, yeah, Cobra is what we're doing next time. Another uh, holly jolly video. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can listen to more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. Are you still laughing about <laughs> 100 Spankman? Yeah. Uh, you can learn more about us in our other episodes at Tate <laughs> <laughs> at tapeheadspodcast.com and you can reach us at tapeheadspodcast <laughs> and you can reach us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com uh, we'd love to hear your feedback please rate and review on iTunes and do not call 1-800-SPANK-ME <laughs> no matter what Tim Allen tells you I'm Sean and I'm Lindsay until next time. <laughs>